Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you're joining us, whether you're here on site in our modern hymn service or online. We are so glad that you're worshiping with us. I just checked online. We've got Kim in Wisconsin. We've got Shannon in Missouri. I also saw that Jim and Nancy, they're normally here on site, but they're sick today, so they are worshiping from home. So let's welcome in them and everybody else who's joining us online here today. So glad you guys are here in this 4th of July weekend and you are in for a special treat because we have brought in a guest speaker who many of you have heard of before. His name is Jeff Walling. And if you haven't heard him, you are going to be blessed this morning. Jeff has been speaking all over the country for the past 30 years or so. He's been at conferences such as CIY, the North American Christian Convention, the National Preaching Summit, and a ton of others. He has served in ministries in North Carolina and California. Right now, he serves at Pepperdine University in California, and it is just such an honor and a privilege to have him bring God's word here today. I remember when I was in college studying ministry, going to conferences and listening to Jeff speak, and I was just blown away by his teaching from teachings from God's word. And so, like I said, we are truly honored to have him, and I hope that you guys can give him a loud and big first church welcome as we welcome Jeff to our stage here today. Thanks, man. Wow, what a blessing it is to be with you guys and to share both with the folks who are online as well as those who are here. I normally, it's awkward, I would not just walk out and contradict your pastor, but um, I was actually a teenager the first time I heard Chad speak. So um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, 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 it's been a while. Uh, my home is in Southern California. That's where I was born and raised and serve now with Pepperdine University. And I, you know, I love to put up a picture of the place where I serve. Uh, it's a whole lot like OU, except this is the ocean right here. And this is a cross right there. So, uh, that's, that's pretty much the, 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 the different. How many have, have ever been out to, to Pepperdine University? Anybody been out to our campus? Okay. If you have, how many here been out to California? Just been to uh, to the state how many have just been generally to the west maybe somewhere out how many will not raise your hand no matter what question I ask you thank you for your honesty sir I appreciate that well my mom always told me when somebody invites you to their house you ought to invite them to yours so I do want to ask you not only to pray for us at Pepperdine University but also invite you out in May of each year we host a large gathering of Christians we call Harbor. Uh, three days, uh, four days actually, the first week of May. We open up our dorms and uh, we provide room and board and the entire conference for four days. Ocean View Room is only about $265. That's not per night, that's all four days. So I'm sure there's some guys out there saying, that's the anniversary trip I can afford right there, baby. That's where... <laughs> We're going to Malibu. We would sincerely love to have you come out. And I am so grateful to get a chance to be here. If you, like me, have not been to First Church before or in a long, long time, I hope you know you've wandered into a place with a bunch of people who really love Jesus and really believe He is the answer that our country, that our community, and that our world has been looking for. Can I get an oh yeah from the First Church folks on that? All right. And it's great to launch into this mixtape series. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles up to the 37th Psalm. 
Now, of course, the book of Psalms, if you're not familiar with it, is right in the middle of your Bible. If you have an old school Bible like mine, just open it up right to the middle and it'll fall right there. If you have a glowing tablet, then you just type in Psalm 37 and it will take you to one of 150 songs. Now, they don't read like songs to us because they don't rhyme in our language. But these are 150 psalms that Israel would turn to over and over again. And today, we're going to dig into one that is written by one of my favorite Bible characters, King David. To get us there, I need you to remind yourself that songs can bring back memories. Can I get a oh yeah from you on that? Is, is, is there, a, is there a, a song that reminds you of maybe meeting your spouse if you're married? Is there a song that was playing? If it's train wreck, don't mention it, okay? But if, is, is there a song maybe that reminds you of high school? Well, the other thing that I thought about that reminds me are some toys. And some of you will not recognize some of these, but tell me if you have any memories, for instance, put that first one up, of Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Will anybody here confess to ever having touched a Rock'em Sock'em Robot? And some of this vintage stuff is coming back these days. Or maybe some of the ladies in here will remember, well, let's see, Hot Wheels. Yeah, okay, that would be all of us. But I think there's a picture. Here it is, the Easy Bake Oven. How many, how, many, how many here have ever cooked anything in an easy-bake oven? All right. So between the, between the Rock'em Sock'em and the, and the Hot Wheels and the easy-bake oven, you say, which one of those is your favorite, Jeff? You chose those. Well, actually, none of them. I actually brought my favorite. It's, it's very simple, and some of you already are going, I know what that is. It is called a magic eight ball. Exactly. It is the dumbest toy ever made, all right? I mean, an easy-bake oven at least will make cookies. A magic eight ball has a little floating thing inside. Y'all remember how this works? You, you were supposed to say, okay, I want to ask a question. Um, uh, how will things go for OU in the fall? And uh, what does it say? Outlook not so good. Okay. Uh, Sorry, sorry, sorry about that. What about the Sooners? Let's see here. Oh, that says concentrate and ask again. That may not be a good sign for you Sooner fans. Is there one more? Let's see here. Will the sermon go okay? Uh, as I see it, yes. Thank you, Lord, for that answer. I'll just trust him on that. Now, if you haven't ever played with one of these, you may think, well, that's the dumbest thing in the world. But there is a deep desire in all of us to get answers to things we don't understand. Can I get a oh yeah? There's a deep desire in all of us to know the future. And there's a deep desire in all of us to say, how come, why, how do I deal with this? And this morning, while this is just a toy with a floating triangle gizmo in it, I would like to give you a magic eight ball verse from Psalm 37. Read with me here. Let's just read through the beginning of it. Do not fret. Everybody say, do not fret. Because of those who do evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like grass, they'll soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. David opens this psalm with a thing that bugs many of us. How come he's getting away with that? 
How come she gets that and I don't? Man, he's getting away with murder. I can't believe she's getting away. There are people that we see that we would say, oh, they're not doing the right thing. And yet we drive by their house and say, how come they live there? You remember in school, you remember some of those kids that weren't the sweetest and weren't the kindest and weren't the most honest, and yet sometimes they'd get the role you wanted. They'd be elected. They'd be chosen. And somewhere in the back of your mind was this question, God, how come they get that? It's interesting the word he chooses, do not fret. If we've got any guitar players out there, and by the way, Tim Tibbles, what a wonderful worship group that we have here with Tim and that whole, that whole team. I've known him for a long, long time. In fact, I, I think I was in elementary school when I first heard Tim <laughs> leading worship. But those little pieces of metal that are on the guitar, do you know those are called frets? And what a guitar player does to get a note is he puts pressure on the string and binds it against that little fret. Now think about that with this English term describing the Hebrew word when he says, do not fret. That is, do not get tense and tight and upset and feel pressure. But boy, that's so much easier said than done. Amen? Boy, if it were only just easy to say, hey, y'all just feel good. Boy, that'd be fantastic. But when I drive by, on the way coming here, I drove by a gas station on the way to Los Angeles, and the gas was selling for $7.25 a gallon. Everybody say, I fret about that, right? You know, I mean, that's something worth saying. Whoa, what about God? What am I going to do? And David, while David doesn't suggest that everybody that is getting something good in their life has done evil. Well, let me rephrase that. All of us have done evil. Can we, can we say, oh, yeah, to that? I mean, look at the person next to you. Go ahead and just take a look at them. You can tell by looking. They've been up to stuff, right? All right? Even if you're married, because there are no perfect people. Let's just get that out of the way. There are no such thing as perfect people. Anybody says they're perfect, they're lying, therefore they're not perfect. And so the reality is that we all have done wrong. We're all a mess. And if you come here this morning and maybe watch that beautiful baptism and thought, oh, I'm just not good enough. Here's the good thing. God loves messes. God loves people who do wrong. God doesn't love the wrong because he knows what it does to us. But oh, how he so loved the world that he gave his son, his only begotten son for us. Years ago, I remember running into a young man who came to a service and I invited him to come back and he said, oh, I don't know that I'd fit in here. Oh, his maybe clothes weren't the nicest, and this is back in the day. Some of you remember when we used to have what's called church clothes. Y'all remember church clothes? Remember those? I had three kind of clothes. I had church clothes, school clothes, and what other kind? Play clothes. And now all we have is play clothes, so we just wear them everywhere. But I, I was talking to this young man, and he said, oh, I just don't think I could fit in. And I had a suit on, you know, and here were all these people coming out into the lobby of the church looking so good, and I didn't know how to tell him. No, please, you'd fit in here. They're all messed up. Just get to know them, and you'll find out, right? Can I get an, oh, yeah, we're all messed up too? I think that's why maybe Jesus loved messes. That's why I think we call him the Messiah, because he just loves 
broken and dysfunctional people like, you know, Peter and Paul, and he selects them and puts his hands on them and calls them through a vision. So David is not saying here, oh, the bad people, they're going to get theirs. David is saying when you look and feel frustrated about what's not fair, about what doesn't seem right, now listen to the rest of this. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. He even goes further and says, commit your way to the Lord and three little words. Can we say them together? Trust in him. Let's try it one more time. Trust in him. Now, I sometimes call this section of this psalm David's two-step, and it's really pretty simple. Even if you're not a dancer, you'll be able to do this one. Trust in the Lord. Everybody say trust in the Lord. In fact, let me let this half be the trusting side, all right? I know some folks over here. All right, everybody here say, trust in the Lord, and say, do what's right. Because that word good there is a word translated from Hebrew that does mean right or righteous. And some translations of the Bible have that. So we'll just use it for, the, for us this morning. So here we go. David's two-step starts with, and then... Now, what if I told you that every question you've ever asked of God, when you say, Lord, what should I do, can be answered by that verse? Thank you very much. It's been a blessing to be with you. And I, I mean, we could just quit right there if we thought we were able to say, okay, all right, I've got that. But there's always somebody watching online or sitting out there that says, hold up just a minute. Why should I take this guy's word for it? Why should I believe David as he's inspired by God when he says in verse 6, God, he will make your righteousness, righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not, there's that word again, do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. You just refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret because all that fretting he says leads only to what? To evil. But Jeff, Pastor Jeff, why do you think David is somebody we should trust? Well, if you know much about David's life, he spent his entire life trying to live out that verse. In fact, David has experienced ups and downs. His, his life is like a Six Flags roller coaster of good stuff and bad stuff. Now, some may be very familiar with King David. Others may say, I, I, I kind of know a little bit about him. Well, let's just for a second fly back through his life, and maybe it'll help us set ourselves in this. What's the first thing we learn about David? We learn that he's, he's got older brothers, but also that he has a huge faith. Can I get an oh yeah? Because you remember what happens when his older brothers go off to war and they're off fighting the Philistines? 
I mean, there was always some army trying to, to, to rob Israel of their land. There was always somebody, you know, opposing them. The Amorites or the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Parasites, some kind of ites were coming along and saying, we're going to take this. And when they came from the sea, it was the Philistines because they were the warriors of the sea. So here come the Philistines and here's a massive Philistine army and a massive Israelite army. But instead of having a giant army where thousands die, down into the valley walks one man, one Philistine soldier. His name begins with G, ends with Oliath. Does anybody here know? Take your time. What's his name? Goliath. It's been used through history to describe something gigantic. Bible says he was nine foot, nine inches tall. His armor weighed more than three times what I do. He would throw a spear that had a 15-pound head on it. Can you imagine that? Any of the fellows that handled a 15-pound hammer know that's not something you'd pick up and try and throw, but he did. And in the tense moment when Israel was there and he hollered, whoever can defeat me, we will bow to Israel. Send out your best champion, but if I best him, then you become our slaves. He says, why waste a lot of blood? Let's just go mano a mano here. And the noise from the Israelite side was the knocking of knees because nobody was willing to step out, not even Saul, their king, who was head and shoulders taller than any other man. Until a young boy came bringing happy meals for his brothers. Remember that part of the story? His dad said, take this food to your brothers. And he gets out there and he says, why is there no fighting going on? And they say, well, dummy, look down there. That's why there's no fighting going on. And he looks and he sees Goliath and he hears him taunt Israel. And he says, well, he has a brilliant idea. He says, why don't somebody just go kill him? Has anybody thought of that? And they go, yeah, right. Who's going to go down there and do that? And little David says, I will. Now, as best I can tell, he might even be a teenager at this point, maybe even 11 or 12 years old. If he was too young to go to battle, I was probably somewhere where he was. And man, a soldier grabs him, and before he knows it, he's standing in front of King Saul, and King Saul is looking down at this little kid saying, look, I, I can do it. What, do you realize? He said, well, one time when I was guarding the sheep, I killed a bear, and another time this mountain lion came and tried to get him. So I figure if God can help me handle a bear and the lion, he can help me handle this, this Philistine. And Saul says, well, then take my armor. Well, that'd be about like, you know, uh, there's a young man working right up here in the booth right now that I think is about eight foot two up there. And uh, that'd be about like me trying to put on his clothes. And David says, no, 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 I don't need any of this. Well, what are you going to fight with? Who can remember what he pulls out of his pocket? What does he have? Slingshot, yeah. Not, not, not one of these flipper things like you and I used to get, you know, during summer vacations that immediately got taken away because we pinged our sister with it, but rather those, th this long kind of sling like this, why it's called a slingshot. And as he walks down into the valley, he picks up what? Come on, VBS graduates, help me out here. He picks up what? Five little stones, and he has them in his pocket. And he puts that just one in there and begins to sling it around. Goliath has no idea what's about to happen. He mocks him and says, oh, who's coming to me? Am I, a, am I a dog that you'd send a little boy to fight me? And boy, David, the Bible says, comes running at Goliath. And he's slinging it around saying, my God's going to take care of you. And when that rock lets go, 
There's an ancient Philistine document that says Goliath murmured as the rock hit him right in the head. Nothing like that ever entered my mind before. And when it did, just kidding, as a bad dad joke, when it, when it, some are saying, what? When it does, Goliath falls down, David runs over, beheads him, and the next scene is David dragging this head, the head of Goliath, into Saul and saying, is this what you've been wanting? <laughs> Happy birthday. There, there, there you go, right there. Now I know it's bloody and violent in a way that causes us to say, whoa, but you need to understand God was raising up a nation in the midst of a violent people. And when that moment happened, the country went nuts. They began to sing the songs. Saul may have killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. You know what it's like to have success when you're young? Do you know what it's like to be the kid in middle school? Or a freshman or sophomore in high school? With a given gift, maybe it's in basketball or in football, and all of a sudden you throw the shot or catch it or make the shot that wins the team, the season, and you get lifted up and put on shoulders, and they carry you around. Do you remember what that feels like? Some say, I would like to, right? <laughs> I'd love that. Oh, I know many of you come home every day, Dad, and when you walk through into the door into your house, the entire family is, yes, we love you. Can I get a, oh, not me from the groom here, right? No, typically when we see somebody getting all those accolades, we say, how, how come nobody does that for me? David knows what it feels like to have early success. And may I quietly say, Early success is dangerous stuff. Because all the paintings that have been painted of David killing Goliath, what we don't think about is what was going on in that kid's head when all of a sudden everybody is calling him what? You're a hero. You're a superhero. You're fantastic. So can we just pull over and park and ask, what do you do? What do you do when everybody at work all of a sudden is lauding you? What do you do when you're the winner, when you're chosen, when you're number one? David said, do you remember the verse? See how easy it is to forget scripture? It's just an astounding. <laughs> he says, you and he says, you're going to have this feeling that you deserve it, that yes, I am that. And pretty soon your ego is going to start getting a hold of you. And you're going to think, oh yeah, I spoke at a church a while back that had a pastor's parking spot. It was in red. They had done the lettering in red. It was right up close to a door that even if it was raining, you could zip right in and, and not get wet. And I have to confess as the guest speaker when they said you could park in a pastor's parking spot i said where is it they said oh you'll find it and i pulled right in and i pulled on that red spot and i thought this is how it ought to be <laughs> you know chad chad's over there amen this is how it ought to be we ought to have a pastor's donut out there too just an extra extra big one right oh that little voice inside says hey hero you deserve it. And we start expecting it. And we become entitled. And pretty soon we start making choices that are not wise. Can I get an oh yeah? 
danger, Will Robinson. Hero worship can destroy your integrity. Because who was the hero when David killed Goliath? It's God. It wasn't because David is such a hot shot. It is because God is loving and amazing. And sometimes we forget to give him all the credit. Amen. Next time somebody commit, you know, compliments you, man, what a wonderful businessman or what a, what a wonderful businesswoman you are, what a leader, what a great family you have, before you say, well, thank you very much, maybe pausing and saying it all belongs to God. You see, that's what happens if you... And... But David, of course, doesn't stay as a hero, does he? He goes from being a hero, unfortunately, to a zero. And that happens because Saul gets jealous. You ever done the right thing and you got in trouble for it? Anybody know what that feels like? You ever got in trouble and it was no fault of your own? Here David is literally just honoring God and Saul becomes so angry with him. Here's a classic picture somebody painted of him throwing a spear and trying to kill young David because he himself is losing power and losing position. Now, what do you do then? When you go from being, uh, you know, they say, at least the kinetics teachers at Pepperdine have told me that there's something called kinetic learning, and we've been doing it for years. It's when you do something physically, your brain actually remembers it differently. So can I get you to do your arms like this? Some of you guys have been wanting to show your guns all morning long. Go ahead. Just, just bring them up. Just bring them up, guys. Here we go. All right. Everybody say hero. Oh, you got to say it good and loud. Hero. Going from a hero to a, then do this and say zero. That's right. Now, when you go from a, one more time, hero to a zero, your brain said, wait a minute. Hold it. That's not fair. That's not right. Why is this happening? What do I do, God. God says, you get them back. You pay them back. You show. Is that what the Lord says? Lord says, and, oh, but I did what's right and that happened. <laughs> sure enough, David goes from the hero to the zero and back up because Saul ends up dying. David ends up being anointed as what? King. He becomes King David, one of the greatest kings. Jerusalem is called the city of David. David is almost without a doubt considered to be the greatest king of all time. Israel's great leader. From, come on, you got to do it. It's more exercise. Some of you done all 4th of July weekend. Here we go. Hero to a zero to a king put your crown up there yeah not not antlers ma'am just a crown all right here we go all right good deal all right you get shot all right so here we go from a hero to a to a king now what happens when you get made king i know for most of us when we're exalted we become more humble right when you, <laughs> I had a younger sister named Judy and a younger brother named Jim. Jeff, Judy, and Jim. Yes, I don't know why, but they decided to name us all with the same beginning letter. As a parent, later on, I realized what a foolish choice because I got called Judy as many times as Jeff, Judy, Jim, whoever you are, get over here, right? Well, 
because I was the oldest on occasion when my parents would go to do something. My father was a pastor. Maybe they'd go to some church event that wasn't for children. He'd say, now, Jefferson, you're in charge. Oh, those are sweet words. And my brother and sister would tremble and say, no. Because when they said, Jefferson, you're in charge, I did not become Mother Teresa. I was more like Osama bin Laden. I mean, I just, all of a sudden, I was in charge and you're going to do what I say. Because once again, our ego begins to tell us, well, they better respect. Yeah, I'm going to pull over half a second. Guys, culturally, we struggle with humility in our homes. Can I get a, oh, yeah. Because well, I'm the head of this household. That's what the Bible says. You're supposed to do what I, you know. We kind of forget that Paul says, yeah, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to love your family, love your spouse as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So I need to be self-sacrificing. But I'm just confessing. As a husband who raised three boys, there were times. How dare you speak to me that way? And indeed, those boys needed correction at times. But when it came from my ego, from this sense of, don't you know who I am? David taps me on the shoulder and says, Hey, bro, when you're made king, because there's a tendency when you're in charge to think you don't have to, and that's because you don't. Isn't that amazing? I mean, how simple is it, right? So he goes from being a to a from a and now go ahead and just take your hands like this just put your hands right in front of you don't be too cool for school just put your hands right in front of you there and then just do this shame he goes from hero to zero to king and one day he's as this artist wants to show us sitting on a roof roof of his palace other kings are going off to war and he gazes over at a woman who is bathing on a rooftop now, people want to blame it on Bathsheba. What was she doing naked on that rooftop? That was a cool place where water could be put, warmed by the sun. It was the closest thing they had to a comfortable bath. It was typical. But she happened to live next door to one of the few guys who would have a house tall enough to be a peeping Tom. No, no, it, it wasn't Bathsheba's fault. <laughs> My grandma used to say, it was David's fault. And I'd say, why? Because he had a neck. And what? Grandma used to say, Jefferson, anytime you see a woman not dressed right, you know, see some girl that doesn't have enough clothes on, just use your neck. Turn your head the other way. <laughs> All right, Grandma, that's pretty good. But David didn't do that. David didn't say, oh, my goodness, there's a naked woman over there. He said, oh, my goodness, there's a naked woman over there, and she's naked. <laughs> and she's a woman. And the longer he looked, the more he lusted. And because he was the king, he did a terrible thing. He just said, get her, bring her to me. I want her now. And he took her. And to make matters even more disrespectful after having her in his bed he threw her out the next day sent her right home well if that was the end of the story it'd be bad enough but there comes a knock sir I have a note for you 
And it's from Bathsheba, his next-door neighbor. And he opens it, and it says, Dear David, I'm pregnant. P.S., it's yours. And David panics. Because this woman now has the ability to shame him greatly. Well, David, of course, immediately just confesses. He calls all of his, uh, his you know, advisors together, and he says, I've done a terrible thing. I've slept with my neighbor's wife, and I want to repent. He dresses himself in sackcloth and, and, and ashes and goes before all of Israel. And is anybody believing this is in the Bible? Yeah. Some who may not know the Bible are going, wow, he's a great guy. Sorry about that. That's not what he does. What he does is he lies and cheats and tries to cover it up. He gets her husband to come home from the battle because her husband's out fighting the battle he probably should have been fighting. And he says, here, come home. Hey, sleep with your wife. How sweet, how wonderful. But he won't do it. He says, how could I possibly sleep with my wife when my men are sleeping on the ground? So he sleeps on the porch where everybody could see that he wasn't sleeping with his wife. David thought he could blame the baby on him. He even tries getting him drunk. It won't happen. So then David takes the step we just are embarrassed to talk about. He writes a note to his commander out in the field. And he folds the note up and he gives it to Uriah and says, will you take this and give it to Joab when you go back to battle? God bless you. And the note says, when you're in the heat of battle, put Uriah in the front line and give a secret signal and have all the others draw back. Basically, it's assassination. Uriah takes it and gives it to Joab. By the way, he doesn't read it. Isn't that stunning? He doesn't read it. What a man of honor. And he dies on the field. And then when he dies, David the creep says, Bathsheba, my next door neighbor, is a poor widow now, so I'm going to take her in and take care of her and make her my wife. Oh, I can see the press conference, right? Yes, uh, we've lost many in the battlefield. And Uriah was a close friend. But that's why I am taking Bathsheba. Any questions? Yeah. Koki Roberts, yes. What? Yes, yes. I, 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 I am taking her as my wife. It's the only right thing to do. I want to be honorable before God. Yes, yes, uh, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm caring for her. And What's that? <laughs> well, yes, we, we are going to have a baby. Thank you. Thank you. We're, we're excited about it ourselves. No more, no more questions for today. And David walks off stage as though he's Mr. Wonderful when he's really Mr. Creep. Okay, let's go there. Have you been there? Have you been to one with the secret that's hidden in the closet, what you're praying nobody finds out about? Have you been the one that's got that private thing tucked away in your computer or your drawer that you just hope doesn't come springing out of the closet? Have you laid awake at night and wondered, did I slip up? Did somebody see me? Will somebody find out? Oh, God, I've gotten myself in a mess. What do I do? By the way, there's a, there's a purpose in David's order. If you don't, 
you're going to say, oh, I can't. I can't tell. I can't confess. What if I will? You mean if I do the right thing, you'll take care of me? You mean if I do the right thing, I won't get punished? No, no, God doesn't say that. Oh, David, oh, David knows that, yes, there is consequence. Because that baby that was born, that baby ends up very ill at birth. And David lies face down on the ground. Already one of his prophets had come to him and said, Sir, you're the man. Told him a story about a fellow who, who steals a sheep from his neighbor, even though the fellow has many. Basically says, you're a scoundrel, and God's going to punish you for it. David repents. David does what's right. He says, oh God, I'm sorry. He lays face down and fasts for three days, begging God, please don't let the baby die. And the baby dies. And when he gets up, he washes himself and cleans himself. And his servants are shocked. When the baby was alive, you're weeping and crying. But now that the baby is dead, and he says, now that the baby is dead, it's in God's hands. And I'm just going to, oh, come on. And so, yeah, I guess David has been through all those steps. And so this morning on Independence Day weekend, my question is, what's your question? How about a simple one? God, what do I do now? There was a young lady this morning who made a wonderful choice. Amen. Bab being baptized into Christ. Maybe you've never done that. Well, what should I do? Maybe you've been here for years. In fact, maybe you are really good at this part. Yeah, my grandma said there's some people who change, trust, and obey. Remember that old song? To be happy in Jesus is to trust and obey. Grandma used to say, some sing it, trust and trust and trust and trust. They never get to obey. <laughs> but you see, if you don't trust, you won't have the courage, the gumption, and the strength to get to obey. Amen? And if you've been trying to do the right thing and you keep stumbling and stumbling and stumbling, maybe you need to back up and say, God, do I really trust in you? Because if I will, it gives me the courage and grace and strength to... I don't know what stands before you. I don't know what challenge. But I know this. David's been there. And God inspires him to say... Take the next right step. But I'm... Okay, back up. Trust in God. Does God love you? Yeah, that's a question you get to answer. Does God love you? Amen. Did you see the sunrise this morning? Even the, even the rains that watered the earth. Does God love... Yes, God, I know you love me. You gave Jesus. Then he says, if you trust in the Lord, you can... Do what's right. And as you look around and say, oh, but there's so many things that are happening. I just, I just don't know what to do. <laughs> oh, I'll tell this quick. When I was a kid, there was a cartoon that was on the, on the shows that I, I just, I loved. It was called The Road Runner. Did y'all have The Road Runner here? 
Remember, Wiley Coyote was always trying to get him, and I always thought the roadrunner was the smartest bird in the world because he always got away. What I didn't know until I grew up was that the only reason the roadrunner got away every time was because he had an agreement with the writer of the cartoon. No matter how cool a thing Wiley Coyote bought from Acme, the writer of the cartoon would just write the roadrunner out of it. I mean, a, a truck would come out of a painted tunnel and mow down Wiley Coyote, and the bird would be safe. The, the, the hill would fall, and the cleft in the rock would where it would be strong for the little bird. Folks, that's what God offers us. He says, I will take care of you. But if I do what's right, God says, I will be with you. Last time. It doesn't mean nothing bad will happen. Because today I'm, I'm going to get on a plane. Lord willing, I'm going to get on a plane. It's going to take up, take off out of Tulsa Airport. What if that plane gets up six, seven, eight thousand 8,000 feet in the air and all of a sudden it begins to shudder? Maybe hits some clear air turbulence and the right engine shakes and falls off. And the left engine flames out at the same instant. And the pilot, seeing that that's happened, has a heart attack. And the co-pilot looks over and has a stroke. And a, and a guy in front of me jumps up and says, I'm a terrorist, and he's covered with bombs. And a lady behind me drops her cigarette and lights the plane on fire. I mean, every bad thing that could happen, just pretend for a second that it happens. And the plane is going zoom like this towards the ground. And Satan says, oh yeah, trust in the Lord, do what's right. Look what it got you. What are you going to do now? Let me tell you what. Because I have trusted in the Lord and given my life to him. When that plane hits the ground and explodes, the last thing Satan's going to hear from me is, meep, meep, and I'm going to heaven. <laughs> because I have a father who's promised me that. Bow with me. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for our morning. Father, thank you for this church Truly, Lord, make this church unstoppable. I pray for their future, but God, I pray individually now for folks who are right here who need to do the right thing. God, as Matt talks about what those steps might be, will you open our hearts to trust in you and do what's right? And in Jesus' name, we all pray and say, Amen. 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 Would you